Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this classic series from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're sailing back to the 17th century with the pirate story, The Smugglers. Surely the inspiration for Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm your host, and I think there's nothing wrong with the title being the most interesting thing about your story. <laughs> My co-host is Guy, whose secret to avoiding scurvy is putting an extra lime in his cocktail. <laughs> it's worked so far. <laughs> actually, Hello, Guy. actually, I've been drinking Hello, Ron. <laughs> I've been drinking uh, gin gimlets this week, so that's a... Uh... I very much am getting my lime ration. <laughs> I hear they also keep pink elephants away, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're, you know, we're at a bit of an up and down fallow period in the history of Dr. <laughs> right? When you combine some <laughs> stories where they were kind of going off the rails and the producers didn't really know the show and were at war with William Hartnell with the fact that half of these are reconstructions, which really really you know you need a really good story to survive a reconstruction <laughs> and some of them like you know you had said we might you know i might have liked um the savages better if, if we'd actually seen it and, and that's certainly been the case that there are stories that that get better reception once you could actually see the action right so so that's always possible mm -hmm. too but uh yeah, I think that that really applies for me, at least uh, to this one. Um, you know, seeing the action, there's a there's a lot of action in it, and a lot of stuff going on, and not being able to see it is um, it's a it's a hindrance. Yep, yep. Now I did read. I don't remember why I was searching for information about these episodes, but I did read, and it was it was something that was announced within the last year that the. I guess at one point the BBC had said we're not making any more Doctor Who animations, re you know, reconstruction animations. We don't have the money for it. And then they turned around very recently, I guess, and said, "Well, we are going to make some some more, maybe just two more. I don't remember the details, but one of them was this one. So uh, hmm. if we'd waited a little longer, maybe, maybe when they when they do make the animation, maybe we can revisit it." Yeah, that's true. It'd be worth uh, worth checking out. Um, so, well, thankfully though, in the, the stuff in the next season, and this is the beginning of this season, really, uh, this story is, uh, there are a lot of the, the missing stories have been done as animation. So we're, well, that'll be, that. that'll be nice anyway. So yeah, this is the start of season four, although it was, you know, as is so often the case, it was actually filmed as the end of season three, right? Because they would, you know, they film their first one at the end of the season so everyone can go and take a break and then they've got a show to put out um, when they get oh, back. Yeah. And that was the case here. And in fact, this is the last story for which Hartnell was officially 
the main character, the next story, you know, which is the story that is his last, he was actually treated and paid as a guest on the, sh- on the oh. story. <laughs> so, huh. This was written by Brian Hales, who is going to become very important in the future. He creates one of the classic Doctor Who uh, villains or monsters, but I don't want to spoil that for you. Um, okay. And, you know, this is uh, takes place in 17th century Cornwall. And uh, there's a book series that I like to use a lot. Of, uh, very, have, they have very detailed notes on, on each story. It's called About Time, and, and if you have, you know, if you're interested in classic Doctor Who, it's worth getting. And they start out Ooh. their write-up of this saying, this may well be the least remembered Doctor Who story of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, not, I didn't think it was a terrible story. I mean, we've seen much worse story arcs, I think. No, it's, but, it's uh, not terrible, I think, and, you know, we can talk about it after we do a little bit of a, a walkthrough. You know, the question is sort of, is it a Doctor Who story? And also... One of the things that after time, that about time posits is that the producer at this point, the new producer, Ennis Lloyd, his concern was trying to get the series picked up around the world. And so he didn't mm-hmm. want to offend anybody and he wanted to create stories that people who buy TV shows would buy. So a lot of the you know, more challenging things from the first couple seasons of Doctor Who, that doesn't necessarily get your series bought, right? You want, you want to say, oh, I'm buying like a Western. The dancing bees. Yeah. <laughs> a person buying shows wants to know, oh, I'm buying a Western or I'm buying a mystery series, right? They know then what they're buying, right? Yeah. And so, you know, about time to saying that basically Ennis Lloyd was shaving the edges off these stories so no one got offended so that they would be bought, which means he was, aiming mm. them at the people who buy these things, not the people who watch them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We do have the first speaking role in Doctor Who of a black actor. There were some black actors in the background in the crusade, but they didn't have a speaking role. And I wasn't so impressed, but after we get through it, we can talk about it. Because about time, I actually have some defense of, you know, how this character was handled. Mm. This won't be too meaningful for you now, but it'll, it'll, become more useful over time. This is the first time stunts in the show were done by a company called Havoc. Hmm. They, uh, they play a very important role in Doctor Who in, in the future. So. Okay. Hmm. And we, we don't get to see any of the stunts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, we do. In, in these reconstructions we watched, uh, there were a few live action scenes, and mm-hmm. it seems like they were always... Where somebody's getting stabbed. <laughs> it's like somebody somebody preserved the live action scenes of people dying. Well, you know why that might have been? I didn't read that the case here, but it's not uncommon that the only footage we'll have of something is the saucier scenes or the saucier shots because what happens is, you know, this would be sent to Australia or wherever, and the sensor there would cut out those shots. Well, when they cut hmm. them out, it would go into their files. Mm. So when the episode is lost, sometimes the only thing we have left is the stuff that was cut out in some censor's files. <laughs> <laughs> so I almost oh, guarantee boy. that they pulled out the shots of people getting stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one one possible silver lining to <laughs> heavy-handed censorship. All right. Good to know. 
Now, interesting thing for us, which I didn't realize until I was reading about this. So the guy who plays the tax man, or as they more politely say, the king's revenue officer, Hmm. he is played by Tlatoxel, John Ringo. Oh, boy, I did not recognize him. Once I knew that and I'd watched it again, you can kind of hear it in the voice, but you'd really have to be aware of it to to tell. You know, and maybe live action (laughs) would be easier to tell, but... um, Hmm. He certainly looks very different in the sh- in the photos we have. Yeah, he he did not get to exercise the full force of his personality <laughs> in this one. That's that's yep. for sure. Okay, so you know we're gonna do a abbreviated walkthrough, and in part just because there is a lot of action, and there are some pretty long scenes that don't involve the doctor or the crew, and you know it's just not a lot to to talk about. <laughs> Notice up front that we've got the, you know, we have new companions who just got into the TARDIS in the at the end of the War Machines, Ben and Polly. And they had to go through this long sequence of them being, <coughs> Goddamn. we had to go through this long sequence of them being confused about the TARDIS being bigger on the inside and all this. And, uh, you know, Ben takes on the now yeah. traditional role of the person who really doesn't believe it for a long time and keeps going on about how they're not really, you know, back in time and, and all this. Yeah, and the doctor's a little irritated to see them. He he was. It sounds like he was looking forward to some alone time. <laughs> yeah, and you know this whole thing goes on for a while throughout this episode um, until they sort of accept that this is all true. It over time they kind of have to shorthand this because it would it would just get boring if every time you get a new companion, you know, you have to go through five minutes of this stuff. Yeah. But in this case, there was an extra reason for it is because it was the first episode of a season, they wanted to tell any new viewers sort of, you know, how things worked. So that was good. Mm, sure. Yeah. And one thing that's really unusual here is I think it was the first time that the doctor just plain out and out admits he doesn't control the TARDIS. He can't determine where or when it's going to land. And he actually seems rather kind of tired and defeated about the whole thing. Um where in the past yeah, he's I been think defensive. He says something and, like it's the cause of half of his problems, or <laughs> something yeah. like that. And uh, um, yeah, in the past he's been very defensive when the, that's brought up, and you know insisted it wasn't the case, et cetera. But here he's finally kind of giving in. Yeah. So it turns out, the and inter- uh, mm-hmm. and Ben is eager to get back to his navy ship, which is. Yeah, in our area in 1966, is supposed mm-hmm. to be leaving that evening. It, it it struck me briefly as a little surprising that, uh, you know, in light of the fact that they just had this huge war machine crisis in London, maybe mm-hmm. maybe things might be rearranged a little. But, uh, you know, I guess if the Navy's got to go somewhere, it's got to go well, somewhere. He, so. I know he says he needs to get to the barracks. I don't know if he said he needed to get to the ship. But if he said he was needed to get oh, to the ship, okay. it would have been inconsistent. You remember, in fact, it's inconsistent anyway with the last story. Because in the last story, he was depressed because his ship was going to go to, uh, like, the Bahamas. And he was stuck in London for six months. In the barracks. Ah, so, okay. Theoretically, he wouldn't be so excited about getting back. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, he's just, he's he's getting off his leave then. So, yeah. Okay. So, makes more sense. Eh? A little yeah. So, they've arrived in 17th century Cornwall in a, in a cave under some cliffs on the beach. And they're near a church, <laughs> which is kind of a, a theme in Doctor Who. Uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities yeah, to the time meddler. <laughs> yeah. 
And there's a lot of padding here. In fact, there's just stuff that's repeated. Like they aren't really a crew yet. They aren't, they sort of haven't become companions and they're just out looking for a bus stop or something so they can, you know, get a ride back to London. And the doctor says he's going to need to follow them or we hear him say that. And then like two minutes later, after much more of this, he says again, he's going to need to follow them. Like they're just, the scene just goes on and on and, you know, <laughs> but eventually they go to this church and they meet the church warden, Joseph Longfoot. And, uh, when, you know, Ben says something about the sea, Longfoot gets very annoyed at any idea that he's associated with the sea. You know, he's, he's just a priest. <laughs> what would he know about the sea? And it's kind of, He's protesting a bit much. <laughs> well, he's not. He's not the priest, is he? He's he's just like the caretaker yeah, right. or something. I uh, think he's sort of. Tr- yeah, he has some position of respect related to handling the church. But yeah, hmm. uh, and he does tell him that he's afraid of a man called Pike. He says he's a very bad man. You don't want to cross him, and. He starts something here that kind of continues throughout the story, which is um, he thinks that Polly is a lad, you know, as a boy. And so, <laughs> yeah. And everybody thinks that all through it. And uh, I was thinking, we just saw this. She's got pants on. Yeah. I so said, we just saw this with Vicky and the Crusade. But actually, the Crusade was a little while ago since we just watched it recently. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, we went through that whole thing of Vicky being treated as a boy and, and all that. <laughs> And Longfoot tells them they can't stay with him, but he warns them to be careful when they go to the inn. They should keep their mouths shut and not trust anyone. And then he gives the doctor a cryptic riddle. This is dead man's secret key. Smallwood, Ringwood, Gurney. There was some reference in About Time that this was based on some kind of poem that they kind of mangled, but um, I have no idea. And I think in a later episode, I'm not I'm not certain, but I think they say small beer instead of small wood. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if that, yeah, I think it was inconsistent, but that may have been done deliberately because in that episode, they read this tombstone that has small beer mm-hmm. mentioned in the epitaph. So there might be a bit of misdirection to make you think, oh, it's right here. It's right under your nose, but it's actually <laughs> not. After they leave the church, Longfoot gets attacked by a bald guy who's named Cherub. He's one of Pike's henchmen, and he refers to Longfoot as being a past shipmate, and he wants Longfoot to spill a secret about where the loot is, but Longfoot refuses, and Cherub throws a knife into his chest. So. Mm. Now, doesn't Treasure Island start off similarly to this, like like some old pirate comes looking for his old shipmate? Could be. I could it's be wrong. Too long it's been since long I read times. that one. Yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. So Longfoot is dead. But Cherub, you know, saw the doctor and crew, so he knows he needs to go after them next to see what they know. Longfoot somehow knew or suspected that his death was coming um, because that's that was the reason he gave for telling the doctor this secret seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, he uh, he he said, uh, you know, if you come back and I'm not here, remember this. Yeah. So it seems like a, a rare secret to share with someone on such short acquaintance, but uh, (laughs) without it, you don't really have much of a story, so I guess we're just going to go with it. Yep. (laughs) So the crew gets to the inn where they have to talk their way past the innkeeper by dropping Longfoot's name, because he won't let them in as strangers, but once he knows they know somebody, then he lets them in. And the innkeeper will end up playing a a role through all this. And we'll find out just why he's so mistrustful of strangers. (laughs) Meanwhile, 
villagers find Longfoot's body and decide to call in the squire. So I guess the squire is kind of the log, you know, nearby so they could bring in. Yeah. And Cherub comes after them to get the secret and he and some other Pike's men end up kidnapping the doctor and taking him to Pike's boat. And the squire shows up and he arrests Ben and Polly, assuming that they murdered, you know, Longfoot. And, you know, they had the not great defense of he was alive when we left. (laughs) 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 You might want to get a better lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And the cliffhanger is a little weird here because we have this shot of the, you know, pirate Captain Pike. And he says, the doctor will talk to me or my name's not Samuel Pike. And that's the end of the episode. So I was thinking, well, this must have been some famous, you know, pirate or something. And. Uh, I checked, and he's not. He's <laughs> not a historical character. <laughs> so it's just a weird cliffhanger. Though I I think they referred to his hook as his pike at some point. So that's how maybe he got his it's, name. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's because of, I mean, a pike is an actual particular style of weapon, so maybe his hook. And and it seems like in, in the Reconstruction, we see this little flange Sort of thing sticking yeah, out. He of ends it, up at least using that's what it, it as looked a like to me. Yeah. Yeah. So in our next episode, you know, it turns out the Pike and Company had gotten together under a Captain Avery, and that does turn out to be a historical person. So uh, I was wondering connection because the doctor recognized the name. So then I checked, and yeah, and, you know, uh, but instead of actually having the historical person as part of the story, which might have spiced it up a bit uh, he's just a MacGuffin because everyone in the story is after avery's treasure so it's a classic you know pirate right. treasure somewhere oh yeah well isn't there isn't there a cable uh show that's all about people who go to this island in like new jersey or somewhere and it's supposed to have blackbeard's treasure or some <laughs> some famous pirate's treasure is supposed to be buried there okay I think it's Oak Oak Island, if I remember right. I, I could be wrong. But, oh, well. Not important, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor flatters, you know, Pike and, and his pirate crew by sort of treating them as gentlemen and pretending they're men of taste and all this. And he then makes a deal with Pike that, um, you know, he'll help him out, but he gets a share of the loot, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure Pike would actually honor if, uh, if it came to it. <laughs> Seems like a real stand-up guy. Yep. And in the jail holding Ben and Polly, Polly gets to do her first scream in Doctor Who at a rat in the corner <laughs> of the jail, which <laughs> takes me right back to Reign of Terror where Susan yeah, screamed at a rat the revolution. in the jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to know they have some reverence for the traditions anyway. Yep. And then... They escape by Polly pretending to be possessed and they get the villagers, a boy who's watching over them, t- <laughs> to release them because they convince him that he has a spell on him and the only way to, to break it is to release them. Yeah, they've got like a spooky voodoo doll that if, if it falls, he's going to die or something like that. I don't yeah. remember exactly. And, but, and part of the whole thing here, and we're going to see this come back, is that they're just like, oh, people at this time are really superstitious. We can just screw with them, you know, so... Um, <laughs> And they head back to the church and end up exploring the crypt underneath the church. And then a man stumbles through a secret door in the crypt, and it turns out to be the king's revenue officer, Plotoxel. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, 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 I'm tempted to go back and uh, you know, watch some of those uh, 
Well, I guess they're mostly just still pictures, so yeah. but there's not much point to it, I guess. <laughs> but I listened to the voice. He said his voice sounds occasionally yeah. reminiscent of it. Yeah. But it's tempting, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> he tells them that he discovered this secret passage, and it goes to the beach, and that must be how smugglers are getting things into the town. So he's kind of solved a mystery here. And it turns out uh, the squire is also after the treasure and he's happy to collaborate with the pirates to get it. So, you know, the squire is supposed to be essentially a magistrate, some kind of judge almost, you know. But it seems to me, at least the way they present him, and I didn't look up to see if this is accurate, that he's just kind of a general, like, representative of the king slash government, you know, there to handle whatever needs to be handled. But he's also completely corrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's the local, the local guy in power and he's uh he's got uh he's got a fair amount of money it sounds like because because i think pike compliments his house when he goes to visit it and he's also a big fat guy which you know at the time was supposed to 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 represent that yeah very stout fellow i think that they really wanted the squire to carry part of the story the same way that peter butterworth you know time meddler and priest did in the time meddler right and Mm-hmm. And again, th- maybe it does if you see it, the actual video, but it just it just doesn't work for me. So he has to carry parts of the story, and you have to care about him, at least until the end when there's some interesting stuff. Um, it just didn't work for me, so that really made you know parts of the story be kind of dull. Oh yeah. So he ends up capturing Ben and Polly, and that is the end of that episode. <laughs> Then the squire realizes, you know, so he's captured Ben and Polly in the crypt and, and the Tlatoxel guy, whose name is actually Blake in this, he didn't know he was in the crypt uh, nearby. And so the squire is sort of being, you know, a cackling bad guy. And then he realizes the the king's revenue man is there and all of a sudden he sort of straights up and straightens up and pretends he's, you know, doing the right thing. He lets Blake take Ben and Polly as prisoners, and then later it turns out that Blake believes them and was just putting on a ruse, and he lets them go. Um, so he knows that yeah. know, things are up. I mean, from the squire's perspective, it, I don't know that it's a really a bad move. I mean, he's he's cooperating with the authorities. Yeah. Oh, here's these suspected murderers. Uh, get, get them out of my face. You mm-hmm. know, do your government thing with them. <laughs> then the doctor escapes from Pike's boat. By doing another version of the superstitious thing, right? He does this whole fortune-telling thing, and the whole point of it is to distract the person who's watching over them. This is the one black actor who talks, and his name is Jamaica. And my problem here, even looking at the pictures, is this is, you know, you know, it's the big-eyed, dumb, you know, speaking in, in some sort of patois, character and so it's it's not an impressive introduction to your first talking black actor i didn't think it was terribly overdone but then again it's 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 you know not a lot of subtlety can come through in a reconstruction where you're getting one picture every 20 seconds you know uh I, i i didn't i didn't feel there was anything overly comical or exaggerated about it but uh you know, I guess, uh, you know, if, if you could see it that way. I, I just don't remember it that way. So the whole thing of this fortune telling was just to distract him so that the innkeeper, who's also being kept prisoner with the doctor, uh, could knock him over the head. And 
Then a little bit later, Pike kills Jamaica for letting the prisoners escape. Although he does it in a kind of cruel way where they have a conversation and then it seems like he's gotten over his issue and, and you know, they're talking nicely and then he sort of out of the blue kills him. <laughs> the About Time book I was talking about, they also sort of defend the role. And what they say is that, you know, they didn't make him an evil black guy. They didn't have him do certain tropes, et cetera. He was just a working class guy who, you know, got killed for not doing his job right. And that that was actually, you know, the the defense there being that's about the best you could expect, right? It could have been worse. Yeah. Actually, in his in his final scene there with Pike, you know, Pike starts off really peeved at him. And then it looks for a moment like Jamaica might be able to to pull out a win, you know, like he's actually coming up with some good ideas, some valid points, trying to be helpful. And it sounds like maybe, you know, the captain's going to relent and say, okay, well, uh, yeah, let's just, you know, move on. But no, the captain is not that forgiving. So, but I think in his last moments, Jamaica at least makes a good effort to really pull his bacon out of the fire. Yeah, it just doesn't work for him. Then we see the squire making plans with the innkeeper to steal the treasure from the pirates. So (laughs) earlier the squire was partnering with the pirates to get the treasure, but if he can figure out a way to cut them out of it, he's happy to do that. Although, you know, if I'm the innkeeper, if he's willing to screw over his other partners, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might you might wonder if there's a pattern to be observed there. <laughs> and the crew is hanging around the church when the doctor realizes the clue from Longfoot is related to people's names on tombstones in the crypt. And uh, the squire and the innkeeper find the crew in the crypt, and the innkeeper wants to kill them. And the squire suddenly shows some ethics, and he absolutely refuses to be involved in bloodshed. I mean, he's he's happy to steal stuff, he's happy to smuggle stuff, but he's not going to be involved in killing people. And it's the kind of the mm-hmm. first thing we see where he's not the character you would expect, or the kind of traditional character in this kind of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up to this point, we don't know really just how bad he's willing to be, but turns out he has some limits. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cherub sneaks up and throws a knife into the innkeeper, and a shot rings out, and it's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Then it turns out that he shot the squire, but the squire is still alive, and the Cherub holds everyone prisoner. He's trying to get the doctor to talk. And kind of surprisingly, the doctor tells him the riddle that he got, and Cherub realizes that these names were all sailors with him, with Avery. Mm. But there were three names in the riddle, and he says, well, there's a fourth person, and this is the final clue the doctor needed. He knew there must be one more name that they, they needed, and he tells them the name. And it sounds like Dead Man, but when I looked in the script from Chakotoy, it says Desmond, so I don't know if they were right. mistyping it or if it was being said kind of weird but i certainly heard it as dead man in the in the story yeah when the when the riddle was given it sounded like dead man and and i i was well, surprised right, i read over he, the script too and hmm? well okay i did not put that together until you just said that because he didn't list dead man or dresmond as one of the names at the end but he said it was dead man's key or something right so he actually i forgot that he had used the word dead man in it yeah. um so yeah that makes total sense then Pike shows up with his crew, and he and Cherub. Now Cherub works for Pike, but you know suddenly Pike thinks that Cherub was trying to get one 
over on him and he was going to steal the treasure. And Cherub acts in a way that certainly makes it seem like that's what he was going to do. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's certainly that implausible. <laughs> and they get into a fight. There's <laughs> a little bit of an echo of that fight and they live, right? This fight goes on for a long, long time. <laughs> People are having conversations and stuff while the fight's going on in the background. <laughs> and we don't get to see any of the action except the, uh, except the killing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Pike eventually kills Cherub. And the doctor says he'll keep his part of the bargains. You know, he had said in an earlier episode that he would help Pike find the treasure, but he has new, he, he wants a new deal for his part. And it turns out he's not getting greedy. It turns out he's actually saying he'll forego his share of the loot, but he wants to guarantee that the pirates will leave the villagers alone. So, um, you know, he's being very honorable here. And that's a little different from when we mm-hmm. first met the doctor and he really didn't have interest in humanity or saving anybody or anything like that. Oh, yeah. And then the doctor leads Pike to the treasure, but Pike is out of luck because Blake has gotten, has returned with a militia. So, you know, the nice thing about working for the king is you can get a militia. And the militia is here to clean things up. And so we now have another big, long fight, lots of shooting and stuff that we can't see. And what in, I think is probably the most interesting element in the whole story the squire, who has been this really bad guy, but then we saw he refused to kill anyone. He now says that he's shamed by the doctor's honorable acts. And so he's sort of now become a good guy again. <laughs> the doctor has shown him the evil of his ways. <laughs> and in return, the doctor helps the squire to survive the fight. And then Pike comes after the doctor. I think he's specifically not happy that he helped the squire. But the squire sort of grabs Pike and holds him so that Blake can shoot him. So they all, they all cooperate in the end. Although, you know, just in terms of self-defense and other things, like, you don't want to hold somebody that someone else is going to shoot because there's a good chance that you were going to get shot as well. But, yeah. Although, yeah, you know, bullets yeah. at the time, I'm it not could sure. could go through them or, uh, yeah, around them or, yeah, <laughs> various ways you can get shot if you're in the general direction of the where the barrel's pointing. Yep. But that's how you be a hero, I guess. So you got to do what you got to do. Right. And as the fight is finishing up in the chaos, the crew gets back to the TARDIS and they take off and then it gets cold in the TARDIS. And the doctor says they have arrived in the coldest place in the world. Dun, dun. <laughs> set up for our next yeah. story. Although we, uh, we don't see it. Uh, we have to assume that Blake being the revenue agent probably tried to collect Avery's treasure and probably succumb to the horrible curse. Yeah, they, they, I didn't mention this, but they talked throughout the story of the curse of Avery's treasure that everybody tries to get it dies, and that's turns out pretty much to be true in this story. <laughs> so, obviously, I don't have a lot of energy around all this. I, and, I, you know, it's, it's like I said, I did, there wasn't any bad acting. There wasn't anything particularly embarrassing. This isn't like, you know, the first Doctor Who movie we watch where there's a lot of embarrassing stuff. It's just, I guess what I come down to again is, you know, it doesn't feel much like a Doctor Who story to me. You've seen a lot more Doctor Who than I have. I mean, I'm just learning it as we go. So, uh, you know, to me, I don't really have... A firm notion of what feels like a Doctor Who story, you know. I mean, uh, if it's if it's 
plodding and long and boring, well, that's a Doctor Who story. <laughs> if it's fun and enter entertaining, oh, that's a Doctor Who story. <laughs> I mean, it could be any old thing as far as right. I'm concerned. Well, and in a way, I think that <laughs> what I'm saying is kind of an excuse for just it didn't have interesting elements. Like I was thinking, well, maybe it's because there's not, you know, some fun monsters or whatever. Like I like the dorky robots and the war machines and, you know, Doctor Who is required and all that. But then I thought, you know, no, a lot of the really good stories, like the Aztecs is a purely historical story. But it's interesting mm -hmm. because of the character stuff and Barbara, you know, acting as a god and, the, you know, the over-the-top badness of Tlatoxel and, and, all, and you know, the doctor falling in love with the, uh, you know, old woman and, and all this. I mean, so there's all these elements that are just interesting because of the characters and such. And there's also Reign of Terror, which, um, you know, there's there's flaws in that story, but there's there's a lot of fun stuff in there and interesting stuff. And and so I feel like it just comes down to there there was no interesting things on the cruise part. You know, there's nobody coming a god or doing anything really. And mm -hmm. There's no interesting other characters to really keep it lacy. I think they wanted the Squire to be that, and the Squire became interesting at the very end. But I didn't, at least in the reconstruction, at least in the audio, he just doesn't have the pull that people like Tlatoxel or or others that we've seen have, right? So, yeah, he's a he's a big fish in a small pond, I think. Yeah, and. uh now Polly's Polly's little witchcraft gambit that was cute, uh, and she she could have played on that more, you know, become like sort of a sort of a goddess like Barbara did <laughs> with the Aztecs, you know, but uh, but she didn't. But that was fun. There's there's various fun stuff in this, and you know you've got your your 17th century pirates here. This is it. We're not in the Caribbean in this story, but this is the beginning of the age of you know the caribbean piracy and uh, the the pirates that we see in the reconstruction are even like you know like pike he's dressed very much like your you know hollywood pirate captain guy well he's even got a hook on his arm you know so they're they're really uh they're really trying to appeal to the pirate enthusiast here and uh so you know it was a good effort and uh, I think I think these stories, at least for me, they suffered a lot by being in the reconstruction format because there's a not not only fighting action but just interaction between people that uh, that would have been much more effective to see to see it in actual even even in an animation would have would have added a lot to it and you know that's no slight against the person who made the reconstructions it's just a uh, the nature of the beast. Right. You know, there weren't enough screenshots or you know uh, photographs available, I think, to really liven up the whole presentation. Yeah, and again, this reconstruction person did a bunch of extra work. You know, he did these sliding thing for the the hidden door in the cave, and and oh, yeah. you know, lots of little bits, and finding and integrating the little few seconds of video that are available here and there. You know, it'd be a little bit surprising. Oh, no, sure. Watching a photo and all of a sudden the photo would move for like five seconds <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah interestingly hartnell finally decided to leave the show after episode two of this story <laughs> and i think it was a lot of things i mean he said things that i think were not accurate later and say but he he was you know he'd been at war with the multiple producers now for a while he wasn't gelling with the new companions and i, I think you can even kind of tell the way they're acted mm. and written, you know, they're their own people. It's not, 
it's not like previously where where the companions were reliant on Hartnell or even mad at him or whatever. I mean, they're just in their own world and, and don't really, you know, interact or care much about him. Um, and the actors uh, who played Ben and Polly really didn't like Hartnell, but they weren't rude to him. They understood he was the star of the show and they had to, you know, do what they could to, to get along with him, but they really didn't like him. Hmm. You know, these are, uh. these are young people in, in, you know, late sixties, London. So they're all hip and cool and, and, uh, you know, tolerant and everything. And Hartnell's a, you know, sort of crustier old conservative kind of guy. Right. So they were kind of coming oh, from yeah. a different, different planet. Yeah. He should have taken a cane to their backsides. I think <laughs> maybe taught them what's what. Yeah. Now later he claimed he left because evil was entering the series, but it doesn't make any sense. Right. I mean, Hmm. That was what Hartnell said about the, uh, well, you know, after the way the producers treated him, <laughs> well, that is not maybe. necessarily an invalid perspective. Yeah. Story-wise, though, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe we had the doll after the beginning. <laughs> so they're more evil than anything else. But, um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, well, where would you go on the worth watching, worth listening to? Should, should anybody seek um, this out? You know, I, I'd say if you're if you're interested in it, and it, it it's a it's kind of a fun little story. I'd say go to Chrissy's transcript site and read the scripts if you're <laughs> if you're interested in it. Um, but if you if you like pirates and you like the historical Doctor Who episodes, it's uh, you know, it's it's not a gangbusters recommendation, but I I I lean towards liking it, and I think if the BBC does follow through on releasing an animated version of it, uh, that could potentially uh, be a fun thing to watch. So, not uh, mild recommendation. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'll say. You're probably, you're more positive than I am, but you know I agree. It might be more, <laughs> more interesting if we can see it. Uh, but you know, the next one definitely is interesting as you know it's Hartnell's final story. It actually introduces a new villain who, you know, we see over and over again in Doctor Who, right? People introduce new villains, usually trying to duplicate the Daleks, and they never mm. show up again, right? Well, next time we get a villain that actually becomes a part of Doctor Who history. So uh, I'm not, you know, not giving mm. any spoiler on who they are or anything. But uh, okay. so, you know, this is a historically important story for multiple reasons. And that is... Now, the, I, I don't... I'd, would it be a spoiler if we know whether we see... Hartnell's successor in the next series, or is that something you can divulge? Either way is fine. I just figured I'd ask. Well, it is the first regeneration, um, and so technically you do get to see the new guy. <laughs> uh, okay. But I won't say uh, uh, more than that. All uh, right. That story is The Tenth Planet. So okay. see you next week. Very good. 